Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. All aboard the discipleship for the trip of a lifetime. (laughs) How's everybody doing today? Oh, fantastic. We are so grateful to see you here in person. Gradually, people are trickling back in. And of course, uh, we have a great online audience as well. So we want to greet all of them. Let's give them a shout. We have people joining us across our city, across our nation, and around the world that join in for these online services. All right, so today we're carrying on in the series I began last week called The Discipleship. And we've been using this nautical theme, and every week I've been relating it to something. So week one was every ship has a captain. So we talked about how Jesus was our captain, and the one thing that Jesus said to us as our captain was this, follow me. And that is the very definition of discipleship, is to be a fully committed follower of Christ. You're going to hear that quite a few times during this series, a fully committed follower of Christ. And last week, we talked about the characteristics of a follower of Christ, and they were three things. They were obedience, allegiance, and reverence. And we ended off last week talking about the fact that we needed to revere him as our captain, and the reason was, was he was given a name above every name that is named. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but but the name of Jesus is above every other name of God in Scripture. The name of Jesus is above Jehovah. The name of Jesus is above Elohim. The name of Jesus is above El Shaddai. The name of Jesus is above Elvis. And he was the king of rock, right? (laughs) And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so this week, my message is entitled, Every Ship Has a Name. Now, I told you this, if a a ship has to have a captain, that's an essential. If it doesn't have a captain, it's not a ship. The same thing is true with a name. Every ship has a name. That's how they're identified on the water. doesn't matter if it's a cargo ship or a cruise ship or a military ship. They all have a name. You've heard them. You've got the Queen Mary. You've got the, you know, the Carnival Princess. You've got the Titanic. You've got the Blue Nose. You've got the you know, USS Nimitz. You've got the SS Minnow. Do you remember the Minnow from Gilligan's Island? I'm not sure if that was a ship or whatever, but I do know it had a captain, right? And so anyway, we are looking at this idea of that every ship has a name. And the funny thing about it is this. If you're a boat owner, you don't have to have a name for your boat. But you have to have registration numbers. You have to display those numbers. But a lot of people will name their boats just because it's kind of fun to do. I have a friend who has a purple boat. He named it Barney. (laughs) <laughs> Some of you got that. I had this black boat. It was loud. It was fast. And I called it the beast. But uh, a lot of them put them right on their, on their boats. And they are a bit playful. I got a sh- couple I'm going to show you. So how about this one? She got the house. <laughs> See, they make a statement, don't they? Check this one out. It's common for people to name their boat after a girlfriend or a wife. <laughs> so you know what's going on there. Love this one. Zombies can't swim. So you're always safe on this boat. No worries. <laughs> I have no idea what this one means. I, I don't know. Maybe someone can explain that to me later. The unsinkable one. What happened to the unsinkable? Or the unsinkable two. What happened to the unsinkable one, right? And my favorite, now who's the loser, dad? <laughs> that one's named in spite, right? 
So we're going to look at this. Every ship has a name, and we're on the discipleship, the good ship, discipleship, and there is a name, and that name we're going to discover is the name of Jesus, and Jesus has loaned us his name, the name above every name that is named. So we're going to pick this up. We're in Luke chapter 10, and here's the, the, the preface of this story. You remember Jesus sent out his disciples, and he said, Go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and off they went. There were 70 of them. So here's when they came back, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Say, your name. Your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names, say your names, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, there's a whole bunch going on in this. It's a very theologically packed verse. But there's a couple of things that we need to be aware of. And number one is this, is that we know who Satan is. He was an angel fall from heaven. And that's what this verse, amongst others, says, that he fell from heaven like lightning. We know that he is our enemy, this scripture says, and that he has power. And the disciples went out and they realized for the first time in their lives, and they, other than Jesus, had never seen this demonstrated, that the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. And they were blown away by this because they had never seen this. They, they understood demonic activity maybe better than we did. And all of a sudden, these demonic powers were subject to them because of this name, this name of Jesus. Now, I know that there's people look back in a historical perspective and say, but you don't understand, Pastor Mark. They didn't understand uh, how the world works. They had no medical knowledge, no scientific knowledge. So they would have thought everything was demonic. They would have thought mental illness was demonic. They would have thought maladies and sicknesses were demonic. Here's the point I want to make. That might be true. It didn't matter. They got results anyway. Right? They went out with the name of Jesus and whatever it was was subject because the name of Jesus is above every name that is named. See, see, I want to think about this. They maybe overestimated the power of the devil 2,000 years ago, but you know what we do? We underestimate the power of the devil. We have a lot of people today, most people, in fact, uh, outside the church, don't even believe there is a devil. They don't believe there's any such creature. And I think one of the greatest deceptions that Satan has perpetrated on the human race today is to convince people he doesn't even exist. Because then he can wreak havoc in their lives and give them all kinds of grief. And what Jesus tells us is he's given us this name. He's loaned us his name in many different ways. He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give you and he said this name with this name you shall cast out demons in my name so here's what i do i don't know what you do i i I don't assume everything is a demon i don't in fact i'm not that bright i don't even know what a demon is and what isn't i just know when someone's hurting i use the name of jesus because the name of jesus works and you know what i do i name the thing and i name the name of jesus why because the name of jesus is above every name that is named right and it must bow its knee so i remember one tuesday night uh we were doing our power and praise which we have coming up this week and there was this woman came up she needed prayer and she had arthritis in her ankles i'll tell you she walked up like this 
She, she hobbled up her ankles. She said she hadn't walked pro- properly for, for, for years. And so I don't know what the cause of that arthritis is in her ankles. I don't know anything about arthritis. I'm not a doctor. But I do know that the name of Jesus is above every name that is named at. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So I spoke the name of Jesus over those ankles and over that arthritis. And I said, in the name of Jesus, arthritis, bow your knee. Now, it's kind of weird that I'm telling her to, that to bow its knee when I'm praying for her ankles, but, but, but that's another thing, right? But, but anyway, here's what happened. God touched her, and she said, the pain is gone. She started stamping her feet like this, and she started jumping up and down. And then I said, do you think you could run up and down these stairs? She said, I know I couldn't have yesterday, but let me try. And she started running up and down these stairs like this. And a whole bunch of you people were here that night and saw her and saw the glory of God happen that day because God touched her because every knee must bow and every ankle as well. Right? (laughs) You should be giving the Lord a cheer for that. So that's the first thing that we learn from this story is that the name of Jesus has power. The second thing, and I don't want you to miss it, he says, nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what's the point of that? The point of that is this. Not only do you know Jesus, but Jesus knows you. And your name is registered in heaven. When you come to Christ, you are now, don't miss this, you are now identified with his name. That's why they call you a Christian, because you're identified with Christ. And we have access. He has loaned us his name, and our name is on record in heaven. And that makes all the difference in the world. And if you don't think so, all you have to do is go look in the book of Acts, and you find a story about the seven sons of Sceva. You remember the story of the seven sons of Sceva? It's a funny story. You've got these seven sons of this Sceva, who was the high priest. They were watching Paul cast out demons. So they thought, well, let's give it a go. And so they found this demon-possessed man, and this is what they said. They said, we adjure you by the Jesus Paul preaches to come out. And the demon spoke up out of this man and said, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? And the demonized man overpowered them and chased them out of the house naked and wounded. That's a mental picture you didn't need, was it? And I think, you know what? That's what happens when we are not known. So don't miss the other side of the equation. It's not enough just for us to know the name of Jesus. The fact is he needs to know our name. And we are called Christians because we have identified with the family of Christ. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he calls you, what? A child of God. Am I right about that? That's our our family. That's where we belong. See, family names have power. All names have power. But let me ask you a question. See if you can get this one. Do you think that if your last name was Trudeau, for example that that name would in any way help you get elected as Prime Minister of Canada? <laughs> the answer to me, my answer would be infinitely so. How about if your name was Bush? Would that help you become a president? If your name was, let's say, George W. and your father was George H. and he was a, a former president of the United States? Names have power. What would, what, would it, what would your life look like if your last name was Kennedy or Vanderbilt or Rockefeller or Rothschilds? Have you noticed something that if you're going to have a great name, it has to have a lot of syllables in it, right? If you're a Smith, man, I, you change your name. Go change, change, change it to Vanderbilt. They, they just even sound better. I'm not being mean here. It's just sort of true, right? 
There's a story I really love about names, and it's the story of Martha Taft. Little Martha Taft, she's in elementary school, and she was asked to introduce herself to the class. So she stood up and she said, my name is Martha Bowers Taft. My great-grandfather was president of the United States. My grandfather was a U.S. senator. My daddy is the ambassador to Ireland, and I'm a brownie. And it's a cute story, obviously. But here's what's interesting about it. She knew with clarity and confidence who she was, right? I mean, you could have thought that was boastful, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe she actually knew who she was, and she was comfortable and confident, and that kind of confidence we should have as well. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard our former premier, Brian Pallister, tell this story about his daughter. But if you haven't, I'll remind you. It's a hilarious story. He, he told it all the time. And when his daughter was little and he was first elected, uh, his daughter was so proud to be Brian Pallister's daughter. So that's how she introduced herself. So they would go to church. They went to the Alliance Church in Portage. And uh, she would go around saying, I'm Brian Pallister's daughter. Hi, I'm Brian Pallister's daughter. One day, her mother pulled her aside and said, honey, You are not Brian Pallister's daughter. You are so much more than that. You are yourself. You're your own person. This is your name, and that's who you are, and don't you forget it. Do you understand? She said, yes, Mommy. The very next week, she goes to church, and this woman comes up to her and says, oh, you're Brian Pallister's daughter, aren't you? She says, nope. I used to think I was, but my mommy says I'm not. It's all about identity, isn't it? I'll never forget my daughter asked me a similar thing when she was younger, Danica, and she came up to me one day, and she was having one of those moments, and she said, Pop, if Mommy had married somebody different, would I be somebody else? <laughs> and I had to think about it for a moment, and I said, nope, I would be. <laughs> I confused her and you. All right, so, so here's the big journey for us. How do we identify with Christ? If, if that's where our identity is, if our names are written in heaven, how do we actualize that? How do we live that out? And so today we're going to look at another little verse here that's really important. I think it's very instructive to this. It's Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 20, and this is what it says. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there's a, there's a lot going on here. And uh, we're gonna, we can't talk about it all, but there's a couple of things I want to point to. He says, you, you have not so learned Christ. He says, you haven't really figured this out. You haven't figured out your identity in Christ. And there's two selves. There's the old man, the old self, who you used to be. And you are no longer that person. You need to put off that person because that person is corrupt and deceitful and, and, and evil. And you have been recreated, you've been created anew in the image of God, and you need to put on that new self, and you figure that out by the renewing of your mind. So he says there's a transformation that needs to go in your life from that old self or old man to that new self or new man with the terminology that Paul uses. 
Now, for sake of our marine terms, I'm going to use a nautical expression, expression for this. And I'm going to throw it up on screen. Here's, here, instead of saying put off and put on, I'm going to use these words. Cast off the old and headway into the new. And these are marine terms. Uh, cast off, and you, you probably all know what this means. When a ship is in shore and the captain says cast off, that means to throw the lines. And that means to no longer be tethered to the shore. And headway is an expression meaning the direction of travel of a ship. And so it's obviously two steps, right? You have to cast off and then headway. So let's start with that first one. You have to cast off the old self. You have to... See, we are are tethered to the old self. We are bound to who we used to be. And you're not going to move off into what you were meant to be until you you throw off those lines. And as long as that ship is tied to that pier, it's not going anywhere. And you have to cast that off. It's a deliberate action. You need to push away from shore. It's the very first thing. And see, every single one of us are tethered to the past, and we don't even realize it. Now, the guy who wrote this knew something about this. The guy who wrote this was a guy named Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle, did he have anything to live down? He, before he was Paul the Apostle, what was his name? Anybody remember? Saul of Tarsus, right? Good guy? Pretty good guy? No, bad dude. Bad dude. He was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. He consented to the death of Stephen. I mean, this guy was a real piece of work. And now he becomes a Christian. I want you to just think about this. So for the rest of his life, the persecutor and the murderer was going around to homes, going around to churches, preaching the gospel. If you knew he was coming to town, how would you, how would you feel about that? If Paul Bernardo... becomes a Christian in prison and then starts preaching around, how do you feel about that? Do you feel, yeah, let's have him in our house. See, you know, see how he's, see what God's done him. So Paul talks about this in the book of Galatians. He says, you know, they don't even know what I look like because they haven't seen me. All they know is he who formerly uh, persecuted the church now preaches the gospel of faith. For the rest of his life, he had to live that down. And he had to figure out what he was going to do, and he told us how to do it. Here's what he said. It's in the book of Philippians. He says, one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. It was the only way he was going to deal with it, was to forget those things that were behind. And, you know, if you look at it this way, maybe not everybody else is going to forget. Maybe they're going to remember the things you've done. But don't you keep remembering them. You've got to let them go. See, let me ask you the question. And put up your hands on this one. How many of you, if you're really, really honest, you have things from your past that you regret, you're shameful about, you, uh, uh, you have grief about, guilt about, any one of those things. How many still have some of those things? And every once in a while, those things, they raise up their ugly head. And every one of us has those things. And Paul says, you have got to cast those things off. And whether other people forget about them or not, it's not your problem. Your problem is you have to forget about them because if you can't forget about them, you can't move on. And you are bound to the shame of the past and you are tethered to the port and you're not going anywhere. Now, I, I've told you this before, but, but it's always sort of an interesting thing. I pastor in the very neighborhood I grew up in. I've been here my whole life in Fort Gary. I grew up down the street, three blocks down the street. I went to Oakenwald, Vicon Alexander, Vincent Massey. I went to all these schools. I grew up here. Imagine me pastoring this church in the very neighborhood I grew up in. And people always ask me, and say, what's the advantage of being in your own neighborhood? I said, well, everybody knows me. They say, what's the disadvantage? Everybody knows you. <laughs> See, I've told you this before. And it, it is actually true. For 40 years, I've had people bring up my past 
Every year, every month, people are always hacking at me. They, they see me, they go, I remember you in university. I remember you in high school. I remember you in the neighborhood. I remember you egging the, the, the teacher's window. They remember all this stuff, and they throw it in my face, thinking that I'm going to be shamed by it. But you know what? I'm never shamed by it. Never, not once. You know why? You know why I don't feel the shame of my past? Because I am no longer that person. That's why. You understand that, don't you? And every, each and every one of us needs to get to that point where we realize we're no longer who we used to be. We are a new creation in Christ. And if you can't let go of the past, don't expect anybody else to let go of it, right, for you. They're not going to do it. That's where you need to start. So there's this fascinating kind of modern-day story of Paul Apostle. I bet you've never heard it. It's about a man by the name of, of James Nelson in, in Scotland. In 1969, he was 24 years old, and uh, he got into an argument with his mother, and he beat her to death. And he got convicted of first-degree murder. He went to prison, got a life sentence. While he was in prison, he came to Christ. And uh, he started getting really passionate about Christianity, about Christ. He started studying the Bible. He went to men's Bible, <laughs> prison men's Bible studies. Uh, he joined the, the, the prison choir, didn't know they had such a thing. And uh, when, after nine years, 1978, he gets paroled for good behavior because he's this model prisoner. So they let him out. And so now he's out. First thing he does, he goes to seminary. And he studies in seminary to become a pastor. Now, here's the thing. He never brought up, the whole time he was going to seminary, who he was. He never brought up his past. He didn't think it mattered because he thought it was in the past and he had repented and he had been forgiven and he had left that in his past. So he graduates from seminary. The Church of Scotland ordains him and puts him into his very first church. Nobody knows who he is or who he was. Let me put it that way. And then all of a sudden, two weeks after he's been in the pulpit, a newspaper article hits. Here's one of of the examples that he actually was a murderer. It was this huge scandal. People didn't know what to to think. They didn't know if they wanted this murderer as their pastor. And I want you to just think about it. You know, what would you think if you found out that your pastor was a murderer? You know I haven't told you all my stories, right? (laughs) I've only been telling you the ones I want you to hear, right? I mean, you know, what would you do? And so anyway, it was this huge scandal. And the Church of England General Council, it's over a thousand people, they debated this thing and they had to make this decision. They had to decide whether repentance and forgiveness could forgive and erase anything and everything. Anyway, they, they voted on it. And anyway, he ended up being reinstated. The vote was 633 to 445. Not everybody was convinced. Not everybody stayed in the church. But the point I'm trying to make to you is, is, is this, is that we actually have to get past our past. And we have to cast off those things which were before. Paul was so convinced about this that, that he made this bold statement. You say, how did he get past that? I mean, he had a lot to live down as, as the former Saul of Tarsus. And this is what he said. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? He said, Paul is alive because Saul of Tarsus is dead. Saul of Tarsus was crucified. It is no longer I who live, but he is now living in a new identity. To the point where he actually changed his name from Saul to Paul. 
right? If you, if you were, you know, Mussolini or Stalin or Lenin and you got saved, would you change your name? You, you probably wouldn't do well to change your name. And you look through scripture and you see these people oftentimes change their name. Who, who else changed the name? It was Simon. Remember Simon? We call him Peter. And that was what, we always think of him as Peter, but that wasn't his real name. His name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of, of Jonah. And he was a wuss. And he was fickle. And he was a flake. And Jesus said, man, I got to do something with this guy because uh, he's no good. And so he says, you know what? From now on, I'm not calling you Simon. I'm calling you Peter because Peter means rock. And I need you to be solid. And I need you to be stable. Changed his name. And you look through scripture and you see these changes of names all the time. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a supplanter. The name actually means that. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which meant he who wrestles with God. And see, when people encounter God, sometimes they actually change their whole identity. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that you need to go out and and change your name. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But it might be a good idea when you're naming your children to be careful. I mean, you notice nobody names their children Adolf or Hitler anymore. Why, why don't people use that name? Well, because names have power. That's right. And, you know, even the biblical names, some of them aren't that great. Don't name your son Nimrod and your daughter Dorcas. They're going to have so much trouble in, in kindergarten, I'm not telling you. And what were these parents thinking when they named NFL legend Dick Butkus, Dick Budkus, right? I mean, really? Couldn't you have gone with, like, Ray Smith or something? Uh, what are people thinking, right? Who knows? So, first of all, the first thing we do is we have to cast off the old. But then, that's not enough. That's only half the equation. Then you have to headway into the new. You need to put on the new. This is what Paul said. Again, Paul really got this. And in the Corinthians, he wrote this. He said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Did you catch that? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's why I always remind you of this. You remember when you got... Uh, first saved, the next morning you woke up and your debts were all paid off and the bald spot in the top of your head was miraculously gone and your wife looked like Angelina Jolie. It was fantastic, right? No, no, you were still up to your eyeballs in debt. You still were wearing the Donald Trump comb over and your wife looked more like mm, Angela Lansbury, right? And, I, and I, no, no offense to Angela Lansbury, of course. The point was nothing on the outside changed. You were still the same person on the outside. So what changed? What's on the inside? But more specifically, you know what changes? Your identity. Who you are, not what you are. Have you ever seen any of these movies, I know you have, where there's some sort of common regular person and all of a sudden they discover their true identity and they're actually royalty? You remember these movies like The Princess Diaries? How many know The Princess Diaries? Anne Hathaway. She's just this regular American teenager and she discovers she's actually the princess of Genova, wherever Genova is, right? And of course then what she has to do is start, even though she's still the same person, she has to start living into her identity. And the, and the other story was King Ralph. Do you remember King Ralph? That was John Goodman. And uh, there was this accident, killed off the whole entire royal family. And the only one left was this hoser from America uh, named Ralph. And so he became King Ralph. Same old Ralph, but now he has to start living into his identity. 
And the reason I point this out is this is what happens when we come to Christ. You see, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And guess what? He is your father. And if he is a king, then that makes you royalty, right? We are royal priesthood. The, the scripture actually says that. So I'm going to tell you kind of a funny story. Some of you might remember this because it happened 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, but here's how the story goes. So 10 or 12 years ago, I get this phone call from uh, some guy in Pennsylvania. Didn't know who he was. He phones me up and he says, are, are, are you Mark Hughes? I said, yes. He said, he said Where, was your father Joseph Barry Hughes? I said, yes. He says, was your grandfather Harley Moody Hughes? And I said, yes. And he says, well, I have been spending the last 20 years of my life doing the genealogy of my family. And it turns out you and I are long lost relatives. And I've been doing the whole family tree and the ancestry. Remember, ancestry.ca didn't exist back then and algorithms and all that. He was doing it manually. He had spent literally 20 years doing it. And so he said, you are part of my family tree. We are at some level distant relatives. I could explain it to you if you want. But he said, this is what I wanted you to know, was it turns out our family are direct descendants of King Edward III, of 1312 AD. And he says, turns out you're royalty. Well, I started laughing and I said, you know, I got an email about this recently and they told me I was a Nigerian prince and I had just inherited $10 million, but I had to, I had to, I had to transfer them $3,000 in order to get the paperwork done and then I would get my title and my money. And I'm laughing and he's laughing about this. He says, no, no, seriously. He says, you know, that's our connection and I've done this big family tree and you're part of it. And he says, by the way, I've written a book on it. Would you like to buy a copy? <laughs> I said, okay. And he says, if you send me $20, I'll send you a copy of the book. And so I sent him $20. What would you do? I got to know, right? So I sent him $20. And here's the other thing. I will pay $20 for a good story any day of the week. So I sent him off the $20. Well, would you imagine that three weeks later, I get this book. And this is the book that he wrote about his family tree. It's called The Longs of Longfield. And he was a long. So he, was, he wasn't studying all the tributaries of, of all the people going back forever, but, but particularly the longs. And it turns out my family are descendants of the longs. And there was this famous uh, British family, the longs of Longfield, and, it, and, it, and it's in my heritage. And so he sends me this book, and it traces the whole thing back. And there's, it's beautifully done. There's hundreds of pages and there's documents and there's pictures and there's all kinds of different things. And at the, at, the very, at the very back of the book, on page 246, are you ready for this? It says, the royal ancestry of Mark Randolph Hughes. <laughs> Randolph's my middle name. It's, it's, it's regal, isn't it? And, and so anyway, then it, then it lists everybody. And it says, King Edward III of England, Prince Lionel, Duke of Clarence, Princess Philippa, Lady Elizabeth Mortimer, et cetera, et cetera, a bunch of other boring people. And, and then it gets down to Harley Moody Hughes, Joseph Barry Hughes, Mark Randolph Hughes. It turns out I truly am royalty. <laughs> 26 generations removed from King Edward III. And all of a sudden, everything about my life became clear. Right? 
I said, now it all makes sense. When I was growing up, I never wanted to go to McDonald's. I only wanted to go to Burger King. <laughs> when other kids cut themselves, the blood came out red. When I cut myself, it came out blue. My mother used to push me down the street in my baby carriage. I would sit bolt upright and I would wave like this to the people on the sides of the street. I thought, it turns out I'm royalty. You probably knew this all along. Last week I told you I wanted you to call me Captain Mark. I've changed my mind. This week you need to call me Prince Mark. It has a real ring to it, doesn't it? You know, last week I phoned up cousin Harry and Megan, and I said, come on, you guys, lay off Aunt Lizzie. She's had a bad year and a rough time, and I, you know, just, I'm just trying to keep the peace in my family. I don't know what you're doing with your family. <laughs> now, of course, you know I'm playing. You know I'm being ridiculous. The, the, the silly book is, is true, but there's another chapter in this story. You ready for this? So two months after I get the book, my uncle sends me this picture, a picture I've never seen. I didn't even know what it was. It, was, it came out of the Manitoba archives, and I'm going to show it to you. Here it is. It was a, it's a great big picture, and it's a photograph. It was taken from 1919. I'll tell you the story here. So the guy in the, in the middle there with the beaver hat, that is Prince Edward VIII. And his parents sent him to Canada to go fishing and hunting. I mean, look at him. He's a dandy. I think they were trying to toughen him up. I mean, look at the way he's holding that gun. It's pointing right at his head. I know, I, I know he doesn't know anything about hunting. So they're thinking, we got to toughen this guy up. Let's send him to Canada. Let's send him to the wilderness and toughen him up. So in 1919, they sent him for two months to Canada. And so I had to have my uncle explain the picture to me. I said, so, okay, so that's Prince Edward VIII. What's, what's the point? He said, well, let, let me put some circles around. You see those two circles there? See that guy at the top there with the cigar? That's my great-grandfather. That is Joseph Henry Hughes. He was the mayor of Brandon, and he is hosting the prince at his hunting cabin on Delta Beach, Manitoba. And the lower circle there, the guy, kid sitting on the steps there, turns out that's my grandfather, Harley Moody Hughes. Now, here's the crazy story about this. Uh, I've never met my grandfather. He died the same year I was born. I have no pictures of him. I have never seen a picture of him. It's another story why we have no pictures of him, but we don't. No pictures. I have no idea what he looked like. This is the only picture I have of my grandfather, Harley Moody Hughes. Zoom in on that picture just for a moment. I'm looking at this picture, and I'm going... My, he's a good-looking man. That, this, that's probably going through your mind, right? And, and then I realized why he's so good-looking. Check this out. Check this out. Look, <laughs> look at that jawline. If that isn't, if that isn't family similarity, was it's just some of you aren't still buying it. Put on the hat. Put on the hat. Yeah, there you, <laughs> there you go. And, and if you're still not buying it, check this one out. <laughs> We can be brothers, for goodness sakes. <laughs> now I know you're thinking, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about King Edward VIII, and I want to get back to him for a moment. So 1919, they send him to Canada. He gets hosted by my family, because you might as well stay with relatives, right? <laughs> and so, so anyway, he goes back to England. In 1936, his father, George, dies and he ascends to the throne as King Edward VIII. Two months later, 
He marries American socialite Wallace Simpson, who is a divorcee, and as a result, he has to abdicate the throne, and his brother becomes king. And here's what I don't want you to miss. He gave up his inheritance for the love of a woman. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not judging him for that. What I'm pointing out is this. How many of us have given up our inheritance for the love of the world? And we have this thing. We, you know, the scripture really is clear that we are royalty. That we are a royal priesthood in the earth because our father is the king of kings. Literally. And that makes us part of his family. And that gives us access to his name. And that makes us who we are meant to be. And how many of, our, of us are living so far below our potential because we don't recognize who we are in Christ. And I'll tell you something. The disciples struggled with this for many, many years. But eventually they got it. And in Acts chapter 4, it says this, when they heard the boldness in which John and Peter spoke, they marveled for they knew they were uneducated and untrained men, and they knew they had been with Jesus. You see, the identity of Jesus began to come out of these men, and by the uh, time they were in Antioch, the scripture says this, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you notice they didn't call themselves Christians? The other people called them Christians, which means literally Christ-like or Christ followers. And so it doesn't matter if you call yourself Christian. The big question is this, do other people call you a Christian? And that's what really matters in this world. So last week I had Rod Bernouche on the show, The Exchange. I was interviewing him. I don't know how many of you saw it. Rod has been a member of this church for many, many years. He was the member of parliament for Winnipeg South for 10 years. So I was interviewing him this week and I asked him this question. I said, Rod, when you were in parliament, in the pressures to compromise, in the pressures to give in to all kinds of things, did you ever feel at any point that you actually had compromised your faith and your values and who you were in Christ? And he said, Mark, I was far from perfect, but I can tell you this. He said, I made a decision when I went to Ottawa, and it was this, that if I was ever arrested for being a Christian, I wanted there to be enough evidence to convict me. And I thought, what a great slogan. I've heard it before, of course, but it's a fantastic way to live. It's not a matter of whether you call yourself a Christian. Do other people call you Christians? And see, we all have a decision to make. Are we going to cast off the old... Are we going to jettison the old self and head way into the new? Are we going to put off the old man and put on the new man? Are we going to start living like who we are in Christ? Are we going to start to identify with the name of Christ because our names are actually written in heaven beside his? Are we going to start to live out this call that he has given us a name, a name above every name that is named, and in my name we shall cast out demons and we shall do great and wondrous things? We can make a difference in this world because we are sons of the living God, and that is why he He says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And if God be for you, who can be against? Let's stand together, shall we? I want to ask you all to do me a favor in the room here. If you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. If you're online, I want you to just listen carefully for one more minute. This journey of discipleship starts by inviting Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And wherever you've been on your journey, whatever you've done, whatever past you have, all that can change today. And if you've never made that decision to invite Christ into your life, that's the beginning of the journey. 
And so with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to ask you this question very sincerely. I'm not asking if you've been to church before. You're in church right now. The question is this. Have you made a definitive decision to follow Jesus and to make him your Lord? And with nobody looking around, every eye is closed. So this is between you, me, and God. If you would like to make that decision today in the room, I want you to just slip up your hand so I can see it. By raising your hand, thank you, on the front and back. Just take a moment. Let me see those hands. Thank you. Those hands popping up around the room. If you're online, there's a little icon of a hand that pops up on your screen, and you just click that, and you're making the same decision. Now, I didn't see everybody's hands, but it doesn't matter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a prayer. And this is a bold prayer, and so I want all of us to pray it those online and those in person here. And let's pray this prayer and let's commit ourselves to this journey of discipleship. So let's begin. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess I've been less than I need to be. I've been anchored to an old self. I've been tethered to the pier. But today that changes because you died for my sins. You washed them all away. And today I'm leaving them in the past. And I'm casting off from shore. And I'm heading forward into everything you have for me. Because you not only died for me, you rose again on the third day. And you forever live to be my Lord. And so that the old things have passed away. And all things have become new. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a new identity in you. Today I'm a Christian. Today I'm a discipler. Today I am a follower of Jesus. And I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's give him a shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.